everyone, welcome back to Stall 7, Ulti World's AUDL podcast. I am Chris McGlynn, he is Alex Rubin, and we are back to break down a wild week 12. Alex, I honestly don't even know where to begin here. I mean, I think I know where to begin. We had Raleigh, D.C., right? That was penciled in, right? This was going to be the headliner. But then Atlanta-Pittsburgh tried to upstage them. We got a ridiculous game out of San Jose and Los Angeles. Uh, Minnesota ended up not scoring in the fourth quarter and still beating Madison. Chicago blows out Detroit despite not having, like, most of their roster. Uh, and I'm getting – you have a T-shirt that's going to be coming your way now. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, it's um... – Soon after, we might have to make a second T-shirt. So the best one in eleven team in AUDL history. That's what the uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh Thunderbirds tweeted out after their game against Atlanta. Uh, hey, they might be right, right? That's oh, for sure. I think they they're over. I don't know how many one in eleven teams there are in AUDL history. I don't know. I'd have to check. The joke might be that they're the first. I'm not positive here, but uh, yeah, I guess since the league switched the twelve game schedule, we've only had like there's only been two seasons, right, of twelve games. I think it started in 2019, so very possible they are the first. Maybe that's why they get to hold that claim. Anyway, Brian Jones will be back with us this week. He is going to join us for his weekly coaches corner, uh, and uh, we're also going to have a playoff preview. We have two playoff games coming up in uh, week 13. We also have two rescheduled, postponed weather games coming up as well, so plenty to talk about coming up. Uh, let's dive into this Raleigh-DC games. I think we have to start there before we go anywhere else. This game was billed as a pick and it finished as a pick because DC wins in a ridiculous ending in double overtime to knock off the Flyers and to put themselves in a position to win the number one seed and host a playoff game in the Atlantic Division. Yeah, and, you know, credit to DC trusting their depth. I mean, Luke Griffiths, not someone who we've ever mentioned on the podcast, I don't know. Name, my guess is 90% you have never heard of, comes up with like the game clinching block. Yep. He he only played in four. This is actually, this was his fourth AUDL game. That was it. So, uh, quite the impression and he left. Maybe the most. Him. I mean, like, is that the most important block in the regular season? Maybe most important. The best block of the regular season also came in this game, though, because Reese Bergeron is capable of human flight, as we found out. <laughs> <laughs> that was outrageous, and I cannot believe. And this is not any shade. Miles Cooper, hundred percent, deserved to be on ESPN's, uh, you know, Sports Center top ten plays. How was Reese Bergeron not also on there? That's what I want to know right now. That was the, insane. This is the offensive bias that we have seen throughout the league. It's been well established, Chris. You know, it's oh, the AUDL, goodness. big fields. <laughs> How much did AJ Merriman pay you to? Is he is he texting you right now saying he got to? feed the no he is not, not, he's not you know but uh no that that block is ridiculous for those who haven't seen it uh you know go look it up he comes from like the backside makes up a ton of ground on a huck and it's ridiculous like shoulder height layout it's truly remarkable yeah I, I mean it's one of those plays that you just watch it they show it from like every angle too which is great because it doesn't it, it's a good play from no matter what angle you're watching it from but this was, I mean, truly a back-and-forth game. It really didn't feel like either team was going to pull away at any point. In fact, I'm not even really sure that either team led by more than maybe two or three goals at any point in this game. But uh, D.C. ends up coming out on top. They they rely on some late finishes, you know, some good finishes from their offense here. 
and uh, in the end, get the get the hold in overtime, and Jeff Wodach sneak it into the front cone, getting the the game winning goal there. Yep. And that clinches home field for DC. They do not have to leave the district to play yeah. again. Right. Assuming if they win now, this will likely set up a matchup with the Raleigh Flyers again in the playoffs. We don't know that for sure. They do have to play the Tampa Bay Cannons in this rain, you know, rain rescheduled rain, quote unquote. It was not rain. Uh, Let's just be very clear. Okay. It was COVID. It wasn't. Like it was COVID rescheduled game. Uh, against the Cannons uh, down in Tampa Bay. Now, we, we fully expect it sounds like Tampa will not, first of all, Tampa won't have a coach, and it sounds like Tampa may not have, like, a roster. So if you're in the Tampa Bay area and want to play next weekend, I believe the Cannons are holding, if you show up, we'll give you a jersey-type tryouts. And, uh, yeah, so if they win that game, then they seal the number one seat and set up a matchup again with the Raleigh Flyers. You know, the what's crazy is there was a moment earlier this week on DraftKings where the line actually moved in favor of the Cannons because there was a lot of action on it. So maybe people are thinking that uh, DC might not you know, take this game as seriously now that they clinched home field uh, throughout the playoffs. Maybe, like, I'm not think, sure what's happening there. But Is the theory here that DC wants to avoid playing Raleigh again and is just trying to throw the game to, to I change don't think the matchup? DC should not care who they they've beaten raleigh twice already right and the other piece of it too is it's not like i mean they've split with atlanta so i can't imagine right, and they lost to new york they should want they should want to they play split with, right but they can't i think new york new york and dc have have sewn up the top two seats if i'm not mistaken new york um winning, maybe not i think new york still needs to beat boston i think atlanta yeah. has a chance at hosting a playoff game okay okay there's see there's still so much more to play for in week 13 now uh, but anyway, uh, credit to the DC Breeze. This was one of those games where, I mean, man, you needed the mental focus to hang on double overtime. And, I mean, quick shout out here, Joe, uh, Joe Richards. Unfortunately, riding it out on my bench in fantasy this week, scored six goals, had an assist as well. And I know he didn't win, but my goodness, Anders Jungst, how uh, people cannot guard him. Like, no one in the league can I mean, guard on Wait, wait, wait. Luke, to be fair, Luke Ruff has guarded him at the end of the game. Yeah, although he actually, if you, I've read through Evan Lepler's Tuesday toss, some fantastic reporting here. Rafus actually wasn't guarding him. He just peeled off and made the play. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a switch. But he guarded, like, he, he got the block on him. But yeah, seven goals, two assists for Young. Clearly a breakout player of the year type of candidate. I mean, we've heard his name before in the college and club divisions. Um, right, but this but, is this is next level. This is like exactly. he... He's probably playing like a top ten player in the league type type performances on a weekly basis too, uh, and I'm gonna just sorry people. I I know that you guys like to think that you know best, you know everything. You didn't vote Yonder's Youngst into the freaking All Star game, so yeah, just take that. I'm gonna take all the feedback you guys give with a grain of salt. Anyway, now that I'm done bashing our listeners, probably not a great strategy or tactic. It's all good, but uh, <laughs> that's one a listener. Badness. I'll give a shout out to one listener who I'm pretty sure listens to this. Uh, Saul Yannick, six assists, 600 throwing yards, which not quite as good as Austin Taylor. We'll get to him in a minute, but that, that's an outstanding performance. Also, 79 completions. Wow, that is that's a lot for one game. <laughs> My yeah. goodness, Johnny Mulch Johnny... though, four assists, a goal, and 65 of 65. So, uh, as good as Saul was, Saul did have four turns. Sure, I mean, you know, overtime adds a little extra uh, time to that. Like, I, you know, give a little yeah, leniency, maybe treat it Mox like a 3 zero. 
Johnny Just Walks saying. made the All-Star game. Just saying. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. See? Okay, so the listener, well done, listeners. You got that one right. Although we were we were hyping up Johnny Mox as an MVP candidate at this point. Speaking of ah. MVP candidates, let's let's move. We got to talk about the Atlanta Hustle here because Alex, I did not expect this to be a close game. I, if I'm not mistaken, I picked the Atlanta Hustle to cover, and there was a four and a half point line here. So I thought the Hustle were going to run away with this one, and that was simply not the case. Pittsburgh came out and played easily the best game we have seen from them all year long. Max Shepard, C.J. Colicchio, just. Out, outrageous individual performances. Also, I mean, shout out—they picked up Henry Ng, who I think is back in the Pittsburgh area now, just because he's going to school. Uh, I can I can confirm that Pittsburgh's school year is close to starting. I just dropped my brother off there this past weekend, so I can confirm that Pittsburgh is getting close. But uh, Colicchio individually, ten goals, three blocks, and a plus twelve rating in this game. Wow, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and Max Shepard, eight assists, five goals, and a block. Unfortunately, a few turn four turnovers in this game. Not not what you're looking for there. Including an incredibly oh. costly one at the end of regulation. It was so sad. It, I I don't know what happened. I mean, Max Shepard is truly one of the best players in this league, and that is one of the worst plays that I've seen him make as an ultimate player. He had both Calicchio and Owen Watt streaking across the front of the end zone to the front cone, both of them unguarded. There was a huge miscommunication by Atlanta, nobody in the area, and Shepard just flat-out missed them. And just he hits that throw out of bounds. Yeah, this was in the Tuesday toss also. He hits the throw 99 times out of 100. We just per saw Matt the Smith. one. Per Matt Smith. Yeah. yeah. So, and I guess, I guess we saw the one. Yeah, I mean, not much more to say there. Vertical no, cuts I, are really good. Horizontal yeah. cuts leave room for mistakes. I guess so. I guess as a so, as a but... high school coach, that's what I'm taking away here. Fair enough. Um, that's, we that did. Seems like a fair we, assessment. we we let this transition off with the MVP candidate. So I want to bring up Austin Taylor here. He had 13 assists. Okay, that is he half, had 13 assists. Half and of 11 the total. 1100 yards. 1100 yards of offense. Like, yeah. I don't I don't understand. Like how. I know Pittsburgh's been bad defensively this year. Like, that's been a theme. Like, that, their offense is, is decent, right? They have a couple of really good offensive players. Pittsburgh's defense is, is not good. But that's outrageous. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. Like, 13 assists, 65 of 68 throwing, and 1,102 yards of offense. I mean, I, I know we were saying, I, I still think that Ben Yacht, Probably deserves to be the MVP. We're going to talk about him in just a minute here, too, because New York got a big win this weekend. But Austin Taylor, man, is making quite the case to be an MVP. I mean, just... I, they Atlanta loses this game by four goals without him, is my guess. I mean, this was... The fact that... Let's, let's talk about the game itself here. Atlanta got taken to double overtime by a one-win a, a one team. And, hey, let's and rephrase they just it. Pittsburgh was leading by two with less than a minute left in the game. Also fair. So Pittsburgh choked, but I mean that even more so. That's Atlanta's what I'm saying. Pittsburgh trailing. should have won. Yeah. Atlanta's trailing by two with thirty seconds of the game. Yeah, absolutely Pittsburgh should have won this game. I I, I mean the, the Thunderbirds genuinely choked. I mean and, and Atlanta came up clutch in the end. Almost an inverse of what happened to them between when they played Raleigh a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I mean this is 
I, I don't even know what to say here. This was truly just a, a baffling performance by the Atlanta Hustles defense, one that has been so dominant all year long. All of a sudden, I know they went to double overtime, but even in regulation, they gave up 23 goals, which is way more than Atlanta typically gives up. They give up two yeah, more in double overtime. They OT. give up 13 to D.C. Could you imagine Pittsburgh beating D.C. by 10? That would be front-page news. Yes, it would. That would have led the show. Uh, but just, I mean, truly, I, I don't know. This, I am now a little bit worried about the Atlanta hustle. After, I mean, they, they, they lost the game to the Cannons, but like no one was there. Now, then they lo- they lose the, the really close game against D.C. It was wet conditions. You know, oh, sorry, against, uh, excuse me, against Raleigh. Raleigh's a good team, right? You expect that. Getting taken a double overtime by Pittsburgh the week before, I mean, really, the, in your last game of the year before you go to the playoffs is, is not a great sign. So they, it, now, they, they still could host a home playoff game here if New York gets upset by Boston in week 13, but... It's definitely a bit of a red flag. And I think, I, I don't know that this means that Pittsburgh figured out the zone, but I also think it means that the zone definitely was not as effective this week. So something they'll definitely have to think about, maybe tweak a little bit before they helps, head into that playoff game. Helps having CJ Calicchio able to gobble up the, the floaty yeah. shots for sure. Definitely. Um, I mean, they, look, they, I mean, they, am I that worried about missing though? a couple like, guys too? For sure. Um, and like, before the season, we thought Atlanta would finish third. They're going to finish third in the Atlantic. This is who they we thought they were. Right, but they, they also were 9-1 and one and, or 8-1 and one and leading the Atlantic division not long ago. And, you know, this, like, scorched-earth approach. Nobody could touch them. They shut down D.C. They beat New York. So, I mean, like, we, we thought that, okay, cool, this is, this is the best team in the league potentially. And now... Oh, I'm not so sure about that. And Atlanta, I think the biggest thing, they're missing Brett Holzmeyer. That's a big thing for them. Parker Bray, John Stubbs, a couple of very crucial absences for them uh, across the board. All three of those guys have been involved in the defense this year. So maybe that plays a role, but still a little bit of a, a concern, I think, for the hustle. I, I definitely am a little worried. I don't think it's time to hit the panic button, but I, I they definitely need to clean it up a little bit. And maybe you could argue this is actually a great thing for them because they're not going to go in with any overconfidence to the playoffs. They're going to know that, hey, we got to tighten it up a little bit before we go ch- get a chance to play either New York or D.C. I, yep. you know, and so, you know, before we move on, credit to them yeah. for, you know, they're down by two with a minute left in regulation and they turn around and win. That's, you know, as much as they're giving them crap for almost We've losing to Pittsburgh, they won. Times now. <laughs> yes, they did. We've seen that happen a few times now. Like, right? Yeah. What is it with teams and not being able to hold out, like, two goal leads with 30 seconds left? Uh, coaches spent the long offseason grinding for comeback mechanisms and so. uh, not practicing their offense against double teams, apparently. Apparently not. All right, let's move on to New York versus Boston. First time we got a chance to see these two teams play against each other in the AUDL. And it was a pretty fun, a pretty fun contest. Uh, New York definitely was the better team. They come out on top, twenty-five, twenty-one, and uh, just an unstoppable night for Ben Yacht and Ryan Osgar. Yacht finishes with nine goals, two assists, and three blocks for a plus nine rating. Osgar ten assists and two goals, plus nine. He did have three turns in this game, but I mean, just they were uh, on fire, like NBA Jam on fire in this game. And and Boston, despite their best efforts, you got a great performance out of Tanner Hawkyard. Topher Davis continues to show up when he is on the field, man. 
He is a scoring machine. I believe he's averaging over five goals a game this season or something ridiculous like that. But unfortunately for Boston, they uh, didn't get a chance to pull off the upset. They will have another chance. They get a chance to play against New York again, this time at home in Week 13 in that rain-scheduled, re, uh, rescheduled game from earlier. This one this was actually rain. That was actually rain. You are correct. You are correct. But, um, uh, I mean, this, was, this I, was a lot of fun, though. I'm excited to see this matchup continue to play out. Can I give a shout-out to Elliot Chartok here? 69 of 71, uh, five goals. 508 yards of total offense. It's a great, like, on a team with so many star players, it's easy to, like, fade into the background. And here he is, like, what, that's, yeah, just taking on such a big role. And I don't know. I'm just really impressed with it. He's He was a name who was on my radar, like, you know, coming into the season. And I didn't really expect him to put up this, like, these big numbers. Yeah, I think he he's a guy that we kind of knew was a good player, but we've seen him elevate his game to the point where he looks like he, he is on the borderline of being a great player in the league. Now, it definitely helps the talent that he has around him, but this is also a much more versatile stat line that I think we've seen from him. He's been the center yeah. handler for New York all year, so to score five goals as the center handlers, that's pretty impressive. Hey, that's what I'm saying. He's playing on a team of surrounded by a star, right? You know, yeah, Osgar and Williams are going to be the three best players on the field whenever they're on the field. Pretty much. And Chartok's still standing out. There's a couple guys who might might argue against that a little bit, but it's... Very few. It's a short list. Let's just Very, very that. few. That's a really, really short list. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great performance by New York. They It was, it was never, you know, they never ran away with it, but they just consistently played well. Like, it wasn't... This was the type of performance that you need to see from New York. Unlike when they played against Philadelphia, they have that massive second quarter, but outside of that, they look pretty sloppy. This was, they were consistently the better team from start to finish. They didn't blow them out, but they comfortably built that lead, and they hung on to it. Uh, and, I mean, and let's see, uh, they went 7 for 8 on break chances. That type of conversion rate is is incredibly impressive and, and could be vitally important to them winning another championship. They're They're right in line there. Uh, I mean, uh, we're going to talk about the playoffs in a little bit here. I don't know. I think I'm probably leaning towards the Empire being the favorite right now to win another championship in the ADL. Yeah, I'm, I'd am i be on board with that. I mean, I'm still holding out hope for my preseason pick, uh, Raleigh, but I think New York's looking real hard to stop right now. Yeah, certainly on the table still. That's definitely not out of the, the realm of possibility. Boston got a chance to get some redemption, get right game for them. Took care of Philadelphia 22-19 on Saturday and what was a you know pretty close game again, but I think this is about what we would have expected here. Boston looked the better team, and uh, credit to them because you, you know that coming off a game against New York where emotions were definitely running high, you know that, that game was circled on the calendar all year, first matchup between those two teams. There's been that historic rivalry between New York and Boston in the men's club division. So to, to be able to pick it up and, and professionally handle playing against Philadelphia, a team who beat them in Boston earlier this year, I think uh, was, was impressive. I think that's, that's sometimes overlooked just how difficult that can really be. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I want to shout out some players from Philadelphia here who just had outstanding games and a losing effort. James Pollard, five assists and three goals, flipping over to the offensive line. Uh, Sean Mott put up seven assists. And 637 total yards. You know, 
know, it wasn't like Boston was completely rolling them over. I think Philadelphia put up a pretty good fight. And um, yep. you know, maybe the and, best three-win team in the league right now. <laughs> uh, possibly, I don't know. They, uh, they've had some rough games so far this year. They've gotten beat by double digits a couple times. But once again, Topher Davis, man, four assists, four goals. Offensive juggernaut, Topher Davis. Let's just go with that. I mean, seriously, he's been uh, a name that I was not super familiar with prior to the season and really didn't have much of an impact early in the year. He didn't play a ton, but has just consistently performed when he's been on the field for the Boston Glory this season. Yeah, I don't have anything to add there. He's, uh, you know, it's what's interesting is as Boston, we knew they were going to have to do this as an expansion team to figure out which players fit into which roles and you know everyone's coming from like all eight elite club teams out of the Boston scene and if you look at this season you know obviously I think they had hoped to make the playoffs I picked them to do that didn't quite make it um, but if you think of this pre- this season as like one big extensive preseason for 2022 I'm buying glory stock I think they've oh, yeah. figured out good roles for their players I think you should. I think that the toughest thing now is to take that next step and figure it out defensively. Because offensively, it seems like they're just about there. Defensively, they've struggled a little bit at times this year. There is a ton of talent there defensively. I think they're still just trying to adapt to the AUDL style of play. I've had a chance to talk to their like general manager and like game day ops teams and stuff like that, and they seem excited. Like they, you know, they didn't really know they had a pretty big roster this year. They've had some kind of varying commitment from a number of players in the area. So I think kind of seeing it all work, plus not having COVID next year hopefully be as much of a factor. I don't know that it's going to be totally gone. I really hope. Hopefully it'll be even more minimized by that point, God willing. We'll get to that stage. But uh, I think Boston, yeah, is in a pretty good position where you would expect them to to find success again in 2022. And it's going to be interesting because they'll now be part of that East division. They'll play against New York still, but they'll see you know Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal – and at that point, I mean, maybe maybe they are the second best team in that division. I'm sure Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa will have something to say about that. But I mean, Boston definitely will be in that running for a playoff spot next year. All right, let's move to the West Division here because San Jose was involved in a couple of exciting games this weekend. They totally screwed us in our picks contest by getting the backdoor cover against the Growlers, but San Diego hanging on and looking good in what was pretty much a playoff tune-up for them. They you know get a chance to. Uh, figure out any last-minute fine-tuning before they have to host the Roughnecks this upcoming week in their West Division playoff game. Great games from uh, Steve Milardovich, Travis Dunn. Probably the best game we've seen from him all year. Four goals and four assists and a block. Milardovich had an assist, three goals, and three blocks in this one. Uh, And it seems like San Diego is... I know San Jose might not be the best barometer for how good they are, but this was a pretty complete performance by them as a team. Yeah. The San Diego Growlers went 10 of 11 on break opportunities, which is that's not I, just an amazing conversion rate, but like the raw numbers are pretty big too. Right. And that's something we've come to associate with them. Honestly, the biggest thing this year is sometimes their defense is offense, right? They've turned it over quite a bit when they get those break chances or they've not gotten the disc at all. <laughs> yeah. That's been an issue this season. Uh, now, San Jose did make this a close game. It actually got down all the way to 20-19 to in the fourth quarter, but then San Diego rattled off three straight, and at the, in good shape, 29 seconds left, 
All they had to do was hang on and instead gave up a goal and end up getting the three-point victory when we needed the four. We'll talk more about it, but unfortunately, Alex, that game eliminates us. We, we are out of reach. We can no longer catch up to Deep Look Pod, which means that at some point in the very near future, we will have Pavel Giannis on as a guest for him to just heckle and roast us as much as he well pleases. Uh, and I will now plead the fifth and not give Pavel any material to base his commentary on. That sounds like a good plan. Uh, uh, I'm kidding. I do want to shout out Jackson Stearns. Sorry for San Jose before you move on from this game. He had four blocks. That's just a big number for this game. Um, in a losing effort, of course. Um, and Justin Norton with six assists also just pops off the page. Um, good for them. Their season's like San Jose is totally out of reach. You know, they're not looking at the playoffs. They're not, you know. It, it would have been easy to phone in this trip and enjoy the time at the beach. And they played two really competitive games. And, like, you know, but even when you're just playing for pride, it's it's always good to see that. Let's talk about that second game because your LA Aviators were down pretty big in the first half of this one. It was ugly. Uh, you mean and... I didn't turn off the TV when they were down 8-2? to two? Not at all. <laughs> well, they came back. Sean McDougal and Calvin Brown both having really big games here. Uh, unfortunately, at the expense of Keenan Lawrence and Keenan Lawrence, excuse me, and Jordan Kerr. But I mean, overall, I mean, this was a, a great game, exciting game. LA coming back uh, down the stretch of the second half, the third quarter, they were down. What was it? It was twelve eight at halftime, and it was fifteen fourteen at the end of the thir- third quarter, and they held to start the second. Or, excuse me, they broke. Yep. They broke to start the fourth quarter to tie it at fifteen. I mean, that's that's quite the run right there to go from being down 8-12, really. They were down 7-12, really, in the, or 12-7. I flipped the score here. 12-7 in that second quarter. And they went on quite a run there to make this a game and grounded out. They ended up actually taking a, a nice two-point lead, and that was just enough. They were kind of able to see it out from there. Alex, uh, what is this? It was, it was, it was a little dicey. At the I end. Uh, yeah, it was a little so, dicey. I don't know if you saw the end of this game. San Jose, um, down by one with 20 seconds left, does like the you know one yard pull on the sideline, yep. um, and San Fontaine picks it up and throws a scuba to no one in the end zone. Uh, a little discussion if there was a foul on the receiver or not, uh, but San Jose picks up the disc with I forget you know like less than 20 seconds left, works it up the field. Stephen Chang puts up a blady flick that I think it was Lawrence caught on like the two yard line. He was like just about to score. And there's like two seconds left and no one in front of him so he just puts up a floaty shot to the end zone that the aviators are able to knock down. But like for picking, you know, pulling with 20 seconds left, they really like that was as high a percentage of look as you're going to get, except for the you know Minnesota Madison week one situation. <laughs> I, I mean, certainly is. And I think we've seen this become a theme this year is the use of this onsides pull or the sideline trap pull it's becoming more and more common and i think teams are really realizing just how effective it can be to come back from now i would be really interested to see what coaches like brian jones miranda roth hills daryl stanley and now even uh jeff landisman will get a chance to get his hands on during the off season and say okay how do we beat that how are we going to manage to how are we going to set ourselves up here to be able to exploit that and get ourselves out of these situations. It's been really difficult so far. We've seen it work pretty effectively, which is exciting because I think it's led us to some really uh, exciting finishes to games. It, it's really ended up with some some great finishes. 
but what is what does this mean for LA going forward, looking ahead to next year? I mean, first of all, like great for them for putting on a show in front of their home fans. They build this game as like fan appreciation night, um, so it's you know it's great to see the team compete and keep pushing. Uh, you know, this season for LA, they brought on a lot of younger players and uh, introduced them to like the pro ultimate scene. I think we have a few future stars in there. Get to know Seamus Robinson, Matt Miller, KJ Koo, Calvin Brown. I mean, you all know, you know, we've talked about Calvin a lot this season. Um, Brandon Van Dusen made Sports Center last week. This is a a team that has a lot of really good players, and you know, I think some close games go the other way. We're looking at a record on the good side of 500. They finished five and seven in reality, which, I mean, you know. Some unnamed Ulti Road contributors, not myself, may have picked LA to finish last. So I'd say they should be pretty happy with their season. Yeah, that would be me. Uh, who is the un? Oh, you don't need to unname me. We could, we could just own. I'll own it. Uh, I, I wasn't sure this was a really young team getting Sean. At the time too, we weren't sure if Sean McDougal was going to play. So there's a lot of a lot of question marks there. I, I mean, this team would be much much worse without Sean McDougal for sure. But hundred oh, uh, percent, I think. They showed some grit towards the end of the year, and they, they played a lot of these close games. And honestly, they probably could have been in 7-5. and five. They they were really close against Austin in both those games. games. Uh, and they're they're closer, I think, to being a playoff team than they are to being the bottom of the division at this stage. Now, a lot can change in an offseason. We'll have to see how those players continue to develop. If anybody leaves the area, comes to the area, all that type of stuff. Anyway, I just wanted to get a quick two cents there on, on L.A. because this I think this was an exciting finish to the year, but also a team that I think maybe outperforms even some of our expectations for them this season. Let's move to the Central Division now because this was a game that we thought maybe Minnesota's not going to be quite up for, right? They had nothing really to play for. They knew already that Chicago had won their game against Detroit, had locked up home field advantage for that Central Division playoff game. And instead, it was Madison who decided not to show up for this game. They were down by seven points for the majority of this contest, including heading into the fourth quarter, where they still managed to outscore the windshield three to nothing and lose by four points. Just it is Minnesota the time, ran away with this. The second time this season a playoff team has scored zero points in a quarter. It's very bizarre. Very, very bizarre. And of all the teams you would expect it to happen to, how is it not Detroit? I, I don't know. It's an interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting thing about. I mean, it really just but, seemed like Minnesota just took their foot off the gas. And now credit to Madison, they played a much better fourth quarter. They even played a much better third quarter where they opened it up with two straight breaks. But, I mean, when you're down 15-7 to seven at halftime, there's really not a whole lot you can do to get back into the game, especially because Minnesota seemed pretty content. Right. I mean, their first, uh, you know, the, the, each, each of these points lasted at least two and a half minutes. Minnesota was just killing clock. They were just like, For well, sure. even if we don't score, if we take a really long time to get scored on, we'll still win. So, I mean, credit to yeah, them. Yeah, I mean, for... look, they had their starting players out there. They, they should have scored. Um, oh, yeah. But... I mean, they probably should have scored at least once. But, like, yeah, they just drained the clock. They had a the... point that lasted almost six minutes. That's fair. The 8-1 to one run that they went on between the first and second quarters, I think, really just clinched it for them, though. That's, like, total dominance. And, like... For Madison, you know, we had talked, like, you know, if this game meant nothing for them, they were already out of the playoffs. They, you know, if any of their players had something else to do, they'd probably skip the game. They had, a you know, two weeks off. But they still had, you know, most of their roster. And 
they were playing for their hundredth league win, right? They could have been the yeah, first team was, in the ADL to a hundred wins. You'd think they would want to get up for that. I mean, they'll, you know, depending on the schedule, probably do it, you know, in either weeks one or two next year. Um, Unless but, they have to play Chicago and Minnesota to open the season, in which case, uh, maybe, but like, maybe, that's yeah, a yeah. tougher ask. Now, if they play Indy or Detroit, that you could just pencil it in, right? That's that's when whenever. I one feel one. like I feel like when the league makes the schedule next year, you got to pencil in Detroit and Madison week one, let them get the hundredth win in front of Bree Stevens. Like that'd be fun. Yeah. Or um, even better, Detroit beats the streak in Bree Stevens and deny them 100. No, it's not happening. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about a uh, quick shout out here. Nick vote. Fantastic game. Four goals and assist and a pair of blocks. Uh, no turns for him. He's had a great year, and I think been. I wouldn't say a surprise, right? We knew Nick Vote was a good player, but I don't think we expected him to be this crucial of a performer for Minnesota this season. He he's really stepped up and become probably one of their best, if not their best, downfield target. Forget Minnesota; he was great for my fantasy team. That's true. I mean, I'm kidding. No, he's been he's been really good for Minnesota, and uh, you know, I expect him to continue that into the club season for Sub Zero for sure. Definitely, I mean, we've already seen some flashes of it so far with Sub-Zero's play when they were at U.S. Open and a couple other. I think that's kind of the only real big tournament we've seen them at yeah. so far. All right, let's wrap this up at least stateside by talking about the worst team in AUDL history, the Detroit Mechanics, because despite the fact that Chicago essentially rolled out, let's let's call this their B team, right? They it wasn't beat, their C team. It wasn't their was C not. team because, right, Pavel was there. They have Jack Shanahan. You had a couple Ross Barker. You had a couple of Jason Valee. You had a couple guys. Right, at least a few who are part of that normal Chicago machine core who were playing with the union. They still won by ten. Just Detroit, come on. Just yep. just show something. It's like that it's like the meme with like the you know, the kid with the stick just poking it, like do something. Like just do something, Detroit. Like what what the hell? I mean, I guess shout out to Andrew Shogrin and Brian Walsh, who are, uh, yeah, Brian Walsh, who, who both had solid games. They both finished plus six. Shogren's six goals. That's got to count for something. He should have been, he was an all-star. He should have been Detroit's only all-star. Right. I think he's currently leading the league in goals, if I'm not mistaken. He, I know he Yacht, will finish, I believe, uh, as the league leader. Yacht still has one more big... game to catch him. Okay. Let's see what's the, what's the gap there. But yeah, I mean, Shogren, I mean, fantastic season so far and i mean not so far it's done oh yeah yacht only needs four goals yacht will probably get that anyway i mean yacht scored nine this past week so i wouldn't play past <laughs> yeah. him uh but yeah i mean shogun the fact that he at the end of 12 games is you know at the end of his 12 games leads the league has i mean the only person who has a better goals per game i think average this season there's a few but, well, one, the only other one outside of Ben Yacht is Sasha Płatsikolski, who we're going to talk about in a second here. But he's also playing in the Canada Cup, which, you know, we can we They can don't play defense. They, they, you know, they every don't. game is 29-goal game. Apparently, yeah, I know. That's the other piece of this, too, is I hope you guys didn't bet the under. I hope no one bet the under <laughs> for the Chicago-Detroit game because, wow, they smashed that uh, on credit, the, the total for this week. You know, I've I've been finding the silver linings in Detroit's performances all season. They scored two breaks. Wow, more than I would have bet on. That's, I mean, I guess. I mean, this is like Chicago's B team. This is Chicago saying, "Hey, the second half of our roster just isn't going to show up this week, 
We're going to just pick up all of our practice squad guys and probably a few guys that weren't even on the practice squad. And we're still going to beat you down by 10. On the road. Not that that really means much, but like this wasn't even in Chicago. This is in Grand Rapids. And they just, no, nothing. No pride, nothing. Just Detroit mechanics. An absolute disgrace of a season, once oh, again. You can uh, pack up the t-shirts, the, the Break the Streak t-shirts in a box for next year. Like I said, hope they didn't put 2021 on it. That would be... Uh... Quite yeah. a collector's Oof. item. Yeah, that's uh, they're gonna need to order some new shirts then, if that's the case. Maybe I hope they were smart enough to know. I really hope they were smart enough to put a to not put a date on it. All right, let's go slightly north of Detroit and let's go up to Canada here, and we had to talk about this because the Montreal Royale improved to three and zero against the Toronto Rush this year, and I've had my I've had my theories on here about oh Toronto doesn't care, you know whatever. At some point, I think Toronto's gotta care at least a little bit, right? I mean, losing three times in a row to the Montreal Royale, a team that they routinely have gotten the better of, it's got to sting at least some. 25-23, the final. Royale looking really good. And Sasha Płaczykowski, man, has just been unstoppable so far. Six goals and an assist in this one. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Toronto has been just this bad for this long. They, they closed really well. They outscored Montreal eight to three in the fourth quarter. Unfortunately, they trailed twenty two yeah. to fifteen heading into the fourth quarter. So that really didn't mean a whole lot in the end. They ended up winning. Uh, Montreal ended up winning by two. Right, you can say that. Uh, yeah, Montreal had an eight three third quarter. Right. Third. Uh, they just. Okay, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's been a really rough year for the Toronto Rush. Montreal thirteen blocks, great number for them. Uh, ended up going 9 of 13 on break opportunities, 16 of 17 in the Reds. I mean, they look great on offense, but this is a, a really strong defensive performance as well. I, I, I'm just genuinely a bit stunned by how bad Toronto has been this year. I know there's been some buzz that they've been on the decline, all of that, but this is this is surprising to me to see them be this outmatched against Canadian competition. I mean, or... We've seen a lot for Montreal that shows that they're going to be a really good team. I mean, they are a really good team, but like once we see them against non-Canada competition, you know, you're talking about Boston being the second best team in the East in 2022. I think Montreal is going to give them a run for their money, and we they know very neither well team could. can play defense. So they very well could. The unfortunate thing for them is that uh, they followed up that win against Toronto with a loss against Ottawa, which now I mean they. I mean, Montreal is still very much in the driver's seat of the Canada Cup at this point, but not looking great. I mean, that's that's you would like to see them finish it out. Ottawa squeaking out a 25-24 win, uh, despite Sasha Płaczkowski. Another fantastic game. Seven goals, three assists, and a block. I mean, he clearly one of the toughest players in Canada to stop right M- now. MVP candidate? Uh, of the Canada Cup, sure. Okay. <laughs> of the Canada Cup, for sure. Alec Arsenal deserves a shout-out as well. Five goals and an assist. Uh, and a block. Plus a block. Yeah, got to throw that in there, too. The the difference here, honestly, was Montreal's defense. They had 13 blocks, as I said, against Toronto. Only six against Ottawa. So uh, defense not quite finishing out as strong as you would like. They did still go six for nine on break chances, but unfortunately not getting quite as many opportunities to score and uh, Ottawa, despite the fact that they did not convert a ton of them, like they didn't convert at a really high rate defensively, 
they still went eight for 17. They had 17 break opportunities and, and ended up with two more breaks in the game, which was the difference here in a one-point game. So that's, you know, kudos to Ottawa, though. We were kind of getting worried about them uh, not looking so good uh, after they lost those games to Toronto last weekend, bouncing back in a big way. And keeping pace right now, they are only uh, two games off, I guess a game and a half off the Montreal Royale, and they hold a game and a half lead. The 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 weird, not everybody's played the same number of games as Thermal off for a little bit here, but I mean Ottawa's three and three. They have a very legitimate chance of making it to the championship game in the Canada Cup at this point. Yeah, I think I, they just have to beat Toronto one more. They played Toronto twice again you know remaining in the season i think they just have to win one of those games to clinch a spot in that yeah. canada cup final and they beat montreal without nick boucher which i think is significant we right. saw him get hurt earlier this season and they didn't quite look the same without him to be able to get a win against the first place team without arguably their best player i think is really significant and you know maybe ottawa is better than we thought too i mean certainly i think i think ottawa i, I let's make this clear Montreal and Ottawa have clearly both made significant strides since the last time we saw them on the field in the AUDL. Toronto has also clearly taken at least one, probably several steps backward. I think that we're seeing kind of both sides of that here resulting in the standings looking the way that they currently are. So I'm not trying to take anything away from Ottawa or from Montreal, but I think we need to hold the uh, the mirror up to Toronto at this point and be like, yeah, like what's going on? Because uh, you guys aren't looking so good. But anyway, let's let's go back to the States here because we're going to now talk about the playoffs. Cannot believe that we're finally here, Alex. And these are the matchups that we expected, actually. And exactly how we expected them. We expected Chicago to be hosting Minnesota and San Diego to be hosting Dallas. We predicted both of those correctly. I think we got to give ourselves... I know we, we struggled a lot struggled a lot in the, in the, the picks contest this year against Deep Look, but we got to give ourselves a little bit of credit where it's due here, so... I think that's good. Let's start in the Central Division because I think this game is going to be very fun to watch. Chicago will likely have its full roster back on the field. That might include Joe White. We haven't seen him play all season. I don't think it will at this stage, but you never know. He, There's a couple of players he's in eligible. Chicago. He is way. eligible to play. I don't know that we will see I, him play, but he's he is, it is a possibility that he suits up and plays in this game. I also wonder, does Minnesota finally pick up that phone and say, hey, Matt Rader, you're technically on the roster. Want to come play in an AUDL playoff game? We'll fly you out. Now, I have no idea what Matt Rader's commitments are at this stage of the season, but as far as I know, there are no major club tournaments this upcoming weekend, so I imagine he'll be free. I don't know. It's it's certainly uh, certainly interesting to see if maybe those two players come into play here. Yeah, but I mean, each of them would be game-changing. Yes, to be clear, and, and we mean that literally. The the game changes. Joe White can absolutely facilitate an offense and become a really good shot taker next to Pavel Giannis in this Chicago offense. Matt Rader, we talked about all this year. Okay, Minnesota kind of they need to find. Right, Nick Vogt's been great. Cole Jurek's been really good this year. They they've got some good downfield players, but Matt Rader, you know, no offense to either of those two players. Matt Rader is a, in a different level than either of those two guys and would immediately change the complexion of how Chicago has to approach Minnesota from a defensive standpoint because now you're probably going to put Nate Goff on Matt Rader, which sign me up for that every day of the week. That just sounds like a fun matchup to watch. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, absent either of the two players who haven't yet played this season, 
I still think Chicago is going to be favored. They're at home. I know they already lost they to Minnesota be. at home, uh, but they beat them twice on the road. I think overall Chicago is probably the stronger roster. I think Minnesota might like care a little bit more about this game, dare I say it. I think Chicago is, um, now that we've seen machines start to enter the club season, I've seen a lot of players posting on social media about that. Um, but I think the caring isn't as important as talent in some cases. And I think the Chicago Union are, you know, started the season as favorites to make it to championship weekend. And I fully expect to see them in D.C. in a few weeks. I, I agree with you 100 percent. I think that Chicago should probably be favored in this one by maybe a point and a half, two, two and a half points, yeah, something like that. A, a two point win. It'll be about right. Yeah, I don't I don't think this will be a blowout by any means. I think Minnesota is going to hang in there. Uh, but and then they played really well this past week. They looked really sharp against Madison, the best we've seen them look in a while. But they've had their struggles this year. They've had some really sloppy games against uh, Indy and against Madison where their offense just has not been clicking. So I do worry a little bit because Chicago's defense at its best is suffocating. They have one of the best defensive units in the league. So I- I'm going to pick the union here. Minnesota, though, I mean, if they make championship weekend— I mean, what a story that would be. This team, I don't think they were really on anybody's radar. For them to make championship uh, weekend would be quite the I mean, accomplishment. They were a little bit on our radar. Like before Chicago had picked up their, you know, machine additions, I think Minnesota was a pretty clear pick, and they finished 10-2. and two. Like, are they, are they the least talked about 10-2 and two team in, like, the history of the league? Like, I this mean, is a very, very good team. They've certainly been undercover, and we're guilty of that as well. But even if you go back and look at the AUDL's coverage, anything else, we, it just really hasn't been a much buzz. And I think it's because this division's almost felt like a foregone conclusion. Like We've known that it's going to be Chicago-Minnesota for quite a while now. Madison threw a little bit of a wrench in there for a bit, but because their season kind of wrapped up so early, they didn't play for three weeks in there. And they we knew already that they were out of playoff contention. It kind of felt like, okay, from like week what, nine onwards, we knew the playoff matchup. And I guess they were still playing for home field advantage. And I think that honestly could be the biggest difference here is the fact that Chicago gets to play in front of their home crowd. I think that will definitely be uh, a distinct advantage here for the Union. And I think that'll be... I also think it bodes well for them getting players to attend because they don't have to travel. That's definitely going to be something we have to keep in mind as well. For sure. Hopefully Minnesota is able to bring their whole roster. It's the playoffs. Like, yeah. If you don't want to play in a playoff game, like unless like a close family member is ill, like there's there are legitimate reasons not to attend the game. Yeah, of course, wrong. of course. But like, if you're not attending for like a club practice or something, like why do you sign the contract? Right. Yeah. Why are you playing pro then if you're not ready to get up for the biggest game of the year? So to date, at least, you know, there's obviously more big games to come. All right, let's talk about the West Division playoff here between Dallas and San Diego. I'm super excited for this game because this is the grudge match at this point, right? Dallas loses by one in San Diego, wins in Dallas pretty comfortably. I got to imagine they're going to pull out all the stops, right? Like we've seen Dallas has struggled this year. They haven't looked great. But when they have like was as close to their full roster as they can get at this point. They got Mazer for this weekend. Chris Mazer, Dalton Smith. I don't know if Abe Coffin will be available. I kind of doubt it at this point. Kind of, but Gabe Hernandez has really filled in that mm-hmm. center handler role. Now, what's interesting about this game, I think, for Dallas is they haven't played in like three weeks. Yes, that is true. And their last San game Diego was that played each of the last two. 
Right. Their last game, Dallas's last game was against Austin. I think it was on August 7th. And this game will be on yeah, August 28th. Week 10. So it'll be three weeks in between games for them. And we obviously saw that was an issue for Madison this past weekend. Now, you can also chalk that up to Madison maybe not uh, not coming out with uh, the real intention of trying to compete to win because they certainly didn't look like it for much of that game. But at the same time, yeah, that, that is definitely going to be an interesting factor here for Dallas. Can you shake off the rust? And we also know it's not like they spent those three weeks practicing a ton. This team usually does not do much of that. Right. And, and some of the players we're talking about right, right there, and, Chris Mazur, Dalton yeah. Smith, they're not even in the area to practice. Mazur's out in uh, in Southern California, and Dalton Smith, I believe, is in Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan. So, Michigan. So, sorry, one Midwest state. I was off by one there. My bad. But anyway, the point still stands that they, they clearly are still not like working hard to integrate new things or different wrinkles into their game plan to be able to throw off San Diego and get a competitive edge. Um. A few other notes about this matchup. Dallas has never missed championship weekend. True. Since their founding uh, in 2016. San Diego did make it in 2019. And these teams actually played each other back. Dallas was in the South Division. San Diego represented the West. Um, that was a game that Dallas won pretty comfortably. It was like four or five goal games, something like that. That was, I think, a lot closer than the scoreline indicated. I think mm-hmm. San Diego was a little um nervous under the bright lights and by the time they found their footing it was a little too late but it was it was very competitive um this has to be a pick em. i like i'm still not sure who i'm gonna pick you know before the season started i picked san diego um dallas even with their injuries is really really good and i think you know, remember when they played austin and you know austin was favored and there's just some like inevitability about dallas coming through when they needed to Something tells me that might happen again. I I'm picking Dallas. I, I am definitively a bar. I gotta see this final roster to be sure, but I, I am very very much leaning towards the yeah. Dallas Roughnecks here. I think that big game experience, knowing what it takes to to come through in playoff time. We've also seen this team totally different when they've got Chris Mazur on the field. Totally different when they've got Dalton Smith on the field. And as you mentioned, Gabe Hernandez has been fantastic this year. I mean, they, they've got players up and down this roster that are capable of, of making a difference when they need to. I, I think expect Kevin Richardson to be involved on defense. Brandon Malachek is somebody that, not afraid to take some shots, put it up downfield. You know, you can definitely argue as to whether that's always the best advice plan, but it works for Dallas when they've got the athletes to go make the plays. Yeah, I, I really think that Dallas is going to get it done. It's it's going to be close. I think a pick feels about right for me, too. Maybe maybe you favor San, uh, San Diego because they're at home. But the last time they played at home, it was a one-point game. So I, I'm going with a pick em here, and I'm taking the Dallas Roughnecks. I'm, I'm really tempted to stick with my preseason pick and pick San Diego. I mean, they've been clicking. You know, you, What would change it for me for sure is if San Diego brings back John Nethercutt, which um, is – is a possibility. I have, I have no information uh, yet either way. I'm sure I will by the time I write a game preview and post it on Ulti World. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, the margins are so thin that like that one player makes a difference, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're talking about here with Mazur and Dalton Smith. But yeah, if you add John Nethercutt, who, who's clearly, I mean, one of the best throwers that the men's division's ever seen. Yeah. I think that makes a huge difference. That's, that's the kind of the bid, the, the missing piece for so much of San Diego's season, has been that center handler trying to nail down who should be in charge of that responsibility. So, yes, if if they add John Nethercutt, then I think that 
that probably gives them the edge. It might even shift the line. For sure, for sure. Um, or, you know, we get the game of the season from Paul Lally or Tim Okita, someone, you know, who's held and finally figures out how to not throw four turnovers a game. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's as good as those more... players are. I just don't know that they have. I, I, Nethercut is just, he's so comfortable in that setter handler role. He's so comfortable being the shot taker, the guy that's asked to do so much. Now, sometimes that works to the detriment of his team because he gets a little bit overconfident in his throws. But as we saw, I mean, he was more than willing to, to kind of play conservative, at least to an extent. He only had one turnover in his one game that he played this year with San Diego. Without he voiced after the game, Right. And he voiced after the game that he would be interested in playing again. He said, this yeah, it was a fun experience. Chance. Yeah. So I, I think that if San Diego's smart, they're calling up John Nethercutt and saying, hey, uh, you know, let's get you on the roster for this playoff game. Yep. Well, by the time you hear from us next, we will know half of the field for championship weekend. The Atlantic Division playoffs won't be until the following week after, you know, the week 13 regular season concludes. Uh, but it's so exciting to be talking about the playoffs again. Yeah. We've got four games this weekend and all the matter. Uh, very significant. Four games now. in the United States. There's also some Canadian games right. happening as well. Four games in the States. Four games that make a difference in terms of who wins the AUDL championship this year. Sorry, Canada Cup. I will be very excited when you guys are back to playing against the U.S. teams next year and competing for the AUDL championship. We will be talking about you plenty more on this podcast. Until then, though, guys kind of get pushed off the side just a little bit. There's some exciting games there, and I'm excited to watch as the season gets towards wrapping up up, up there. But I just... You know, it's they're they're not playing for a championship, at least not not. I mean, I don't I don't. I'm not gonna hold the Canada Cup up next to the AUDL championship and say that they're the same thing. So, it's just not. Anyway, that's gonna do it for the segment. Uh, we're gonna bring on Brian Jones in just a second here. Make sure you stick around, and you will hear from him and us in just a minute. The AUDL has gone green with VII Apparel. Every time you purchase a full sub jersey, which is made from VII Apparel's proprietary Green Line recycled material. They will plant a tree. Double up your environmental impact by joining VII Apparel and the AUDL and lowering our sports carbon footprint. Sustainability is the ultimate goal here, folks. Head over to viiapparel.co to order your AUDL fan gear today. VII Apparel, the official jersey provider of the AUDL. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Stall 7. Alex and I are joined now by another Brian Jones once again for our weekly Coaches Corner. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? Great. You know, the league, how can you not love it? Every week there's something. And, and now we head into the playoffs, so it's going to get even more exciting. Tons of drama this past week, and it really teases up nicely for the first week of playoff action. We want to talk a little bit about those games. We have Dallas traveling to San Diego, Minnesota traveling to Chicago. And we, we've talked about how these teams match up quite a bit this season already. I don't think we need to really dive too deep into the details here of what Dallas might do to try and beat San Diego or how Minnesota can overcome Chicago. But I think there is something to be said for the fact that these two teams have played at least twice already this season. So now we're heading into a third or if not possibly fourth time that these teams are meeting. As a coach, how do you continually try and keep things fresh and approach this as if it's both a new game, but you also have so many data points already available to you from those previous meetings? Yeah, there's a ton of different angles to look at it from. I think that 
when you go into these types of matchups, there's a familiarity with both teams that you're looking to see if there's some secret weapon you can deploy or change something that you're like, hey, this might work. And you're also looking to just play your best game. And so it's a double-edged sword because when you have a team that you're familiar with, when you think about it from the perspective of San Diego versus Dallas, it's like, can you pull a lever that will all of a sudden make your, uh, you get a couple of turnovers because that can really matter in a really close game. Uh, or are you going to really just focus on performing at your best? And I think it's, it's definitely a little bit of both. Like the pressures of a playoff game are such that there's just not that much room for error. Uh, and especially in the way the league is right now, you can't go in and have a subpar game and expect to just get out of there alive. It's, it's very difficult to do so. And so a lot of this, I think, pregame routine is going to be different for a lot of these teams. There's going to be extra focus going into the week about getting good sleep, extra focus leading up to the game about the game plan, and extra focus on being in the sweet spot in terms of like mindset and zone and having fun and handling the pressure. If you're San Diego, right? Like this talk has been going on all year long about Dallas all year long. The narrative from the media from us has been about, we're just waiting to see if Dallas can make it to the playoffs and they've got this really strong team. And so it's kind of a weird situation to be in. It's like, how does it feel for them internally? Does it feel like they're confident that they have this home game and they're going to be ready to go? Do they have the right level of, of nervous excitement? And that's something that I think can be really important. I don't know that San Diego has a bunch of tricks up their sleeves other than to just go out and play their best game and to focus on playing well. And that's really where their mindset should be. For Dallas, he's been switching their roster all over the place. This is kind of like a brand new game. Like their mentality could be to – develop certain matchups, get people in the right position to get certain blocks. And Dallas really thrives off of that physical athletic energy where they can kind of go on runs for periods of time. Back in 2019, coaching the Empire, when we played Toronto for the second time, and in general, I think I've coached against Toronto teams like 25 times. There is a metagame involved in that where every single time you come in, there's going to be adjustments and the, mat, the, the game kind of doesn't stay stagnant at all. It's not the same thing every time. And so one of the things we did that we kind of could pull for a lever, lever was move Deron Meiser from offense to defense. And we thought we had a really good matchup for him in that game. And it turned out to be really good. And it got us a series, I think, three to four blocks. That really probably was the difference in that game against a Toronto team that no matter where they are in the season, they're going to play New York tough. Um, and so that's kind of like, I'm wondering for Dallas is like, can they move somebody around for a different matchup that they like? Can they, they kind of pull a trigger on, on some sort of strategy they have that they've put in their back pocket? Because when you've played teams multiple times, it's usually the team that's lost in an even matchup that has kind of like the incentive to innovate a little bit. And so in, in this case, it will be interesting to see how those teams handle that yeah definitely i think it's funny you say you know san diego doesn't have any uh tricks to pull up their sleeve or might not um there's the possibility you know unconfirmed haven't talked to anyone involved yet but they they had john nethercutt play for them a few weeks ago and we know he was open to playing uh again for the team i think this would be the game where that matters we know dallas is bringing in chris mazer for this game 
how much does adding one star player matter? I think this came from a, a reader question that was more focused on, you know, if you took a, a regular team for like the whole season, right? Like a, an average six and six kind of team and, and put one star player on, how much does that player matter? But I'm also curious how much, you know, for one game that player can have such an impact, right? You talk about just, you know, moving Gibran over from offense to defense. How much is adding a player to the entire team for the game make a difference? Yeah, it's a it's a great point of view in terms of two factors. One, you're talking about bringing possibly John Nethercutt, who clearly has is incredibly talented, incredibly smart. I've had the privilege of coaching him and, and know what he can bring to the table. But it is weird if you're San Diego to bring in somebody for one to two games. And it just depends on the makeup of your team. If everybody is really gung-ho about winning at all, like no matter what, then you can slide somebody in at the end of the season and it can feel really natural. Um, there are definitely times though, where it can be a little destabilizing where if your team culture is, if it's not handled correctly, if the team isn't bought into it, then it can be feel weird. If even if the person you're bringing in is talented and helps you win, uh, you know, somebody at the bottom of the roster has to not play somebody who is in their normal role has to change what they do. And so that, that would be, a super interesting kind of natural experiment to see if that happens because another cut obviously brings the ability to break the mark. Well, shoot it deep. Well, uh, but is he going to be on the same page with everybody? That's really hard to do with middle amount of time, but going to the kind of the other side of the question really focused towards how much do stars matter in this league? And I think they matter a lot. I think that ultimate is an interesting sport because there's a lot of theory around, uh, in the, you know, when you look at other sports, how much do stars matter in the NBA? It's often, they say that the team with the best player wins in a seven game series, usually because when it comes down to a close game, you give the ball to your best player and make a play. Uh, Frisbee has been theorized by some to be a weak link sport, meaning that often the weakest player on the field determines the success of the team because you can't score by yourself. And teams are very good at making the ball go where they, if you have good coaching, to make the ball go somewhere else. So in the case that you add Ben Yacht to an average team, it's it's hard to say what effect it would have because there's so many little nuances. But envisioning a couple of different scenarios here, one, if you just focus on stopping Ben Yacht and force the team to work elsewhere, the impact could be minimal in the sense of that if you make it so that way you may, you force Ben Yacht out of the play, you get the help over the top, you could have the other team still work it around and go be forced to work through their other players. There's some advantage to that for sure, but I think we're talking about a couple of goals within the game if that happens. If you add in a couple of more stars, where let's say you have Ryan Oscar and Ben Yacht, then you have now a multidimensional team where – it's really difficult to just stop one thing because you can't just stop them in one direction. You can't just focus on one player. And so that's where multiple stars, I think when we see this with the empire really has a huge effect where down the stretch of a game, Jack Williams, Oscar and yacht matter so much. They have the Trump card in a lot of different situations in the handler space, Jack Williams in small spaces in the cutter layer where Oscar can huck it. And in the deep space where Yacht can get what he needs to against contested people. And so that 
I think is a real advantage, but it's just so hard to rate what one player can do. I mean, you see it sometimes with a team like Pittsburgh with Max Shepard when he's on, right? He's a really great player. He can have a huge impact. I love his game, but a lot of times it looks, if you, if you kind of evaluate how Pittsburgh needs to grow, it's they need to probably add a couple of other really good players around Max, around Thomas Edmonds, to make it just for them to go over the hump and be in playoff contention. And so with Frisbee being a weak weak sport, meaning it really matters who your worst player on the field is, I think depth matters a lot. And that one player can only do so much in this game. That's really interesting. And I know it's something we had actually talked about earlier this year with Ben Sadok in Boston as well, where, you know, Sadok was doing so much for that team and yet they weren't really finding a ton of success because if you could find a way to try and limit Sadok at all, you really shut down everything Boston was doing. And I think as the year went on, we started to see Boston diversify a little bit offensively. I think this is where we need to uh, be great. I don't I'm, I'm not the analytics guy. I, I enjoy consuming them, but I'm not the guy to put them together. We need a wins above replacement stat. It's very possible, pop, popular in baseball. I think that would be really interesting to look at in the AUDL. And now... Maybe it doesn't work quite as well, but I, I don't know. Baseball is not necessarily, uh, it's not the same as the NBA, like basketball or the WNBA, where you've got, you can have one player take over a game. You can't, maybe a pitcher, right? You can have them just take over a game, but you, you can't just have one batter completely, you know, run a game for you, most likely. You're not going to be able to. You know, if they just keep hitting solo home runs, you're only going to score maybe three runs in a game, four runs in a game. There's only so much that you can do with that. So I think it is interesting. What do you have, Alex? What do you got for me? I was going to say, that's enough if you're pitching a shutout. Um, No, I just wanted to add first. I wanted to add a little bit of of added perspective. I think what VJ said about um, ultimate being a weak league sport is absolutely true at the elite levels. As a high school coach, give me the ringer. That matters so much more at that level. Yeah, um, I think if you're telling me, fair. you know, if you're telling me I'm, you know, I have the choice between Ben Yacht or not Ben Yacht, you, 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 I'm going to take Ben Yacht. It's just really hard because, you know, so many things that matter on, like, a, when you say average player, it can mean so many different things. It's like one of the reasons why John Lithio is having such a great year for the New York Empire is because his ability to understand how to attack space and his timing of attacking it. And that's a skill in itself that, you know, we, we're not calling John Lithio an average player. He's having a breakout year, but you can, that, those skills are just really hard to quantify. And that's where like a trained eye comes in because Lithio creates space for Ben Yon, for Ryan Oscar, for Jack Williams. It doesn't get in the way and he attacks it at the right time. And so he's a complimentary player, which is makes the empire so much better in these types of situations. And so it's really hard to just like say we have average players. It's like, okay, well you could shift around a lot of average players on a given O-line and they would make the O-line operate very differently. It's like when you look at the empire 2019, you can look at the different O-lines we threw throughout the season on OT analytics. And you can look at the efficiency rate of each of those lines and you're making a decision of whether or not should you have Bo Kittredge on the line? Should you have Connor Klein on the line? How do you, how do you optimize both lines to work. And so Bo obviously has a skill set that's incredible. He's one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time. And Connor Klein is this goal scorer that stretches the field. And so 
how like they're going to play Bo was at that point really playing as a handler so at what how do you evaluate which one is better for your o-line is it, it's not just raw skill it's like who can clear space who can cut the timing and work well with others and so it's not just hey add a really talented player it's add in a player that has to know how to attack in system in time with your with your team and so then the other side of it is like when we talk about hey at the high school ever give me the star it's like we can look at some natural experiments elsewhere and look at Jimmy Mickle and Chris Cotter going to Colony for that team in, in w, uh, WCC Worlds uh, a mm-hmm. few years ago and seeing how you add in two stars to an already like pretty good team. Colony wasn't an average team, but maybe at the Worlds level you could call them near average. It's kind of hard to say, but you can see that impact when they fit well. They make a huge difference. When you already have like a good floor to your team, adding a superstar – can be incredible it's like look at san diego could you add another star it'd be an awesome addition for them on, on offense in a lot of ways if they had them for the whole season and so i, I don't want to downplay the role of stars here mm-hmm. it's just so many other different things you have to think about when creating a really tight-knit line and at some point adding star power only does so much i i totally agree with you and i think it's interesting when you talk about it this is your favorite phrase it's like pulling those levers it's like do you have that lever to pull where you can add that star player and is that the right lever to pull at this stage because you've played pretty much the entire season and when we're talking about john nethercutt specifically here i know he did play one game earlier this year with san diego but a lot of san diego's key players were not there for said game a few were but a lot of them were out competing at u.s open so I think that does change the dynamic a little bit. There's one more player out here that could play. I don't think he will based on just everything we've seen from this season. But Matt Rader is technically rostered by the Minnesota Windchill. And if Minnesota's looking for a little bit of an edge here, I do wonder if maybe this is the time that you call up Rader and say, hey, what is it going to take to get you out here to play this game in Chicago? Because... We want to knock off the Union, and adding you to our offense might be the best way to do so. Or even to their defense. I mean, Raiders' ability downfield, I think, could be a game-changer for them. But he hasn't played with that team all year. I don't even know that he's practiced with that team all year. Is that... Yeah, I doubt it at this point. Uh, he lives in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something There's, that's I mean, on the table for you? Like, would you not even consider it, given the fact that... You know, he I would automatically been, roster Matt Raider no matter what, 100%. <laughs> There'd be no, like, any team I would take Matt Raider. Because here's the thing about Matt Raider compared to Jonathan Nethercutt. Raider knows, like, and you watch him play on every team, his role is to be dominant in very simple ways. And it's not, and he's been doing it for years. You know exactly how he's going to play because you can watch his play style not change for so many different years. And it's take up big spaces, cut deep, dish the disc on offense and on defense it's go guard a really good player. And then on, you can, you can be a force on the turn downfield. Jonathan never cuts a little bit different where a lot of times he's been a volume person getting the disc multiple times in the backfield and handler cuts in small spaces where you have to make really split second decisions can be really difficult for Raider. It's pretty simple to look downfield and see he's got three steps of separation. I want to bomb this that's not a hard decision for, for ultimate players to make. But when you have a stall six and you have to make a last second decision of where to put the disc to Jonathan Nethercutt in the backfield, that's something that chemistry and timing and reps really help with. And so I think they're different players to add. I think it's a really great question of like, what is the difference of 
who, who can you add in those moments? And at worst case scenario, you put Raider on, on defense and you say, go guard somebody really good. That that's not, that's a really good thing to have. And with Nethercut, it's, it's some offensive chemistry questions of how quickly can you make it work? Um, sure. And it's a risk there of having some just miscommunications in the backfield. Yeah, this is Alex and I did a, a segment was it just last week. I'm losing track now, but when we talked about the best playoff, non-playoff players, you know, players on teams that missed the playoffs that you could possibly add. And we did focus a lot on cutters because we felt like it was probably easier to integrate them as downfield players and stuff like that. They just touch the disc a little less. There's a little bit less involved. Now, there's still obviously you got to learn the system and stuff like that. But you're telling me that Josh Klein couldn't figure out a way to loft up a couple of deep pucks in Matt Raider's direction, then I think I think he could do that, right? Josh Klein would be more than happy to to take those deep shots downfield and just say, hey, Matt, go get them. Has Josh Klein ever seen a deep look he didn't like? I don't think so. Uh, as far as I'm aware, no. We'd have to ask him to be sure. But I'm going to go with no. That's my, my gut answer there. So I, I do think it would be really interesting. I think this team... As good as they are, Minnesota, Alex and I keep saying they're probably the least talked about 10-2 and two team maybe ever. Uh, the fact is is that they could use a player with Raiders' skill set. They have some really good downfield cutters. As you know, Nick Vogt has had a great year. Cole Jurek's still there. Um, even we you know, go down further along the roster. Brian Vanuka is kind of a hybrid player, but he's capable of stretching the field. I think Raider gives them something that they don't really have, which is that dominant deep player that I think really could make the difference. I also think that just watching, as I said earlier on the show, watching Raider play against uh, Nate Goff would be really fun to watch. So, like, AUD, I'll make it happen. Raider gives, I think, almost every single team something they don't have. But, I mean, maybe Atlanta, they have Antoine and Empire, of course, with Yacht. But... Raider would be a welcome addition, I think, to any team. I think he's one of the number one players off the board that where you don't have to think, like, do you want Matt? Yes, like, of course. So every team would want to have him in the playoffs, I think. BJ, I kind of about one thing, sorry, we didn't, a little bit of a change of topic here. Um, but we talked a little bit about this on the main show, and Dallas is coming off of, like, what, three bye weeks? I think it is, Chris. Uh, yeah, I think it's two bye weeks, and then they have obviously the week leading up to this game. So right, right. Okay. Yeah. Weeks so between it'll games. be twenty-one days between games. While I think all four of the other teams who are are playing next week have been playing this whole time. How do you think that layoff is going to affect the team? I think that's a matter of whether or not they've handled it well. I think when you when you do this as a coach, you plan for those layoffs, and you have to have an element of still being able to compete at practice. And so if, if we went through Dallas's head and how I would run that, which is you've had, you know, you're going to have 21 days between playoff games. The first two weeks of practices are going to be intense. We're going to focus on getting better, playing our best game, getting to that point, solidifying roles. And then we're going to kind of coast because you don't need to go super hard and super intense and frantic, I think is the word I'm, I'm, I'm going to label here of. And that last week before a playoff game, Dallas is a veteran team. If you've worked really hard, the thing you want most importantly is a team feeling good, body feeling right, confident going into playoffs and not feeling frantic. I don't think if we look at it from an outside perspective that Dallas really has to do too much different to win this game. The last time they played San Diego, I believe they won. And so for them, it's, it's all about themselves getting better, competing for a couple of weeks and then 
feeling confident, getting the body right, and getting ready to play. That last week, honestly, my biggest focus would be on getting sleep. That's getting nine to ten hours a night. That would be a focus for the team and just making sure we're ready to go. Interesting. Interesting. Alex and I did both say when you're talking about, yeah, we are we had our reactions here. We didn't <laughs> to the fact that oh, Dallas needs to practice really hard. Are we sure Dallas practiced at all? This is a team because of the way they're structured. That I'm not even sure they had practice in the last three weeks. They they probably have like pods. I think they could go pretty yeah, uh, go intense sure. and mini or something like that. Uh, but yeah, the sleep they could oh, definitely do. The sleep it's a great point. Do. The challenges here for each team are different, right? And so, like, how do you organize a team that hasn't been practicing all season to have – you have to have some sort of, thing team contact because to play your best as a team, it, it's hard to do depending on these types of situations is these moments matter to a team. The better the, – the more tight-knit a team is, the more focused they are through these three weeks. If they're thinking about it, if it's top of mind, that's – meaning if they can't practice – that's going to be super important. And so just getting regular work in, workouts in, throwing reps in, that sort of thing. If it's kind of like in people's backs of mind, like this layoff could feel like kind of like you're waking up from a slumber. And I, I want to go in ready and I want to find a way to do that. And it's going to be different depending on whether or not they can get together to practice or if they're all spread out. So it's a really good point. Definitely. I think it's interesting. It'll be one of the things we have to watch heading into this matchup. We saw Madison struggle a little bit coming off of a couple of weeks where they were not playing there. This past weekend when they played Minnesota, seeking their 100th win didn't quite work out for them. But uh, I don't know. Uh, definitely a lot of storylines, lots to pay attention to. And a uh, quick thank you as well to Dash for the question that we had that prompted the, the star players conversation there. Alex, what do you, you want to add? Something here? What do you got? Uh, yeah, just before we close out, you know, on our subs only, we're going to be giving some end-of-season awards BJ, I'm curious to hear from you. We didn't talk about this. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's your MVP this season? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think uh, by statistics, when you look at that, you get to go with Ben Yacht. I think the player I want with the disc in their hands at the end of the game, it's Jack Williams. Ooh, interesting. Okay. That is, a, is, that, is that the qualification for MVP, the player you want with the disc in your hands? That's we. I don't know. Well, people, I, I always people think that it's you know. MVP. No, that's that's it's fair game. I just hadn't heard someone describe it like that before. I'm, I'm curious. Mm -hmm. what, MVP uh, is so much loaded in the stats, and I think Ben. I think Ben Yacht is an incredibly dominant player. I think it's it's kind of like a Kobe and Shaq type of situation, oftentimes, and we have Oscar obviously lingering there. But uh, my biggest thing is that I think Jack doesn't acquire the stats, but anytime there's an important play or pressure, he alleviates it because it's just he's so difficult to guard. He's so difficult to find an option for. And I think just our yardage statistics can be overrated. And I think Ben Yacht isn't overrated by any stretch of the imagination. And those stats are really good to look at. But I think we've seen a lot of other teams put out 4,000-yard seasons, 4,000-yard throwers, 4,000-yard receivers. And I don't think a lot of those players deserve to be talked about in terms of MVP. And so, again, I think when the, the game is on the line, I'd like to see Jack Williams with the disc. And that's kind of how I think about who is maybe the most important type of player in the game. Jack's up there even without the statistics. Wow. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I usually think about it, you know, who's most valuable to that team. Alex, I know you often like to say it's best player on the best team. You know, that, that was, I, wait, I said that's, that's a category of, sure, like, sure. You know, it's not really how I think of it. Although, okay. 
you know, Ben Yacht might be in that category. Might be the might, best player on the best team. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, BJ, as you're saying that, you're right. I'm thinking back to, you know, week one against DC. I'm thinking to double overtime against Raleigh. Like, you're right. Jack Williams is there for all the big moments, you know, shining out on this team that has so many other superstars who are equally capable of making the plays that he made, but he's the one who's going to step up in that spot. So Probably the most clutch player in the league. Right? I think he might be the most clutch player in the in the AUDL. I don't know that there's anybody who, like BJ saying, if you're in that situation, you just score games on the line, you're looking at Jack Williams. Yeah. I, I think uh... Any team would want that. Any team would want that in the AUDL at this point. So uh, we're going to talk more about that in our subscriber-only segment this week. Alex and I will break down our awards picks, so make sure you check that out if you are an Ulti World subscriber. But, Brian, thank you so much for joining us again, as always. Lots of fun. Very much looking forward to watching the two playoff games this weekend and also a couple games that matter in the Atlantic standings as well. So I'm sure we'll be back to talk about all of that and preview the Atlantic playoffs next week. Thanks again for joining us. Of course, Ron Beer. Once again, to Brian Jones for coming on the show. Uh, just, again, fantastic insight and excited to be talking about some uh, very meaningful games down the stretch here. Some great tips about the playoffs as well because those are ramping up. And uh, we now have reached the end of the regular season, just about. We have two games left uh, for the American teams. And that means that our Survivor Pool Challenge has just about, just about come to an end here. Now, this is going to be really interesting. So five out of our final six entries got their picks correct, which means that we have a five-way tiebreaker hanging uh, before, into this. Before we get to the tiebreaker, four yes. of those five really had to sweat it out. Two of them picked LA, two of them picked Atlanta. All of those yep. literally went down to the final throw. So yes. luckily mm-hmm. they ended up on the correct side of it. The one who missed out picked Philadelphia. Sorry, that was a bad pick. Uh, I think it was one of those ones where it was looking at it and being like, well, I have nobody else to pick. This is the most likely upset I can see this week. So they just went with that. Probably. It's yeah, tough. That, when you get to like... the end of the season, the survivor pool ones are tough. You got you to gotta figure that's, out who you want to ride true. here. However, three, or excuse me, two actually, of our final five entries also picked the DC Breeze in week 11 against Tampa Bay. So we are going to wait it out and see what the result is here before we go ahead and apply our tiebreaker. We do know who wins if the tiebreaker is applied, but we will hold on to that information for the time being and make all those players wait it out to figure out who it is. And it's not public anywhere. We actually realize that. That that information is not like it's not publicly accessible to anybody outside of Ulti World. So we are the only ones right now who know who would the winner be. But the, the couple of people that are, and I guess you could indicate here, it's one of the three people that picked DC in week 11. Because that's what we're waiting on right now. If it was like, not, not even, if that the game didn't even matter, then who cares? But if DC loses, that completely changes things and it'll be a different person who wins. If DC wins, this player will win. And uh, it'll win on a tiebreaker, uh, which was what will the Pavel Giannis's total season assists be? And now we did say. It's Price's Rice style, which was supposed to be the closest to getting it without going over. Now, unfortunately, everybody went over, so we're just going to say closest to getting it. Yeah. Pavel finished the year, the regular season, with 50 assists, and our lowest guess was in the 60s, so uh, quite a bit off, unfortunately. Alex, your guess was 100, so 
I don't actually think that was my official guess. That was my was bold it. prediction on the podcast. I, I think Can I find. Uh, I think I my official guess anymore. was probably somewhere in the eighties. Um, Pavel, I'm disappointed. All you needed was like eight assists a game. Come on, dude. I should <laughs> stop give giving him material. Ammo, yeah, I know. Yeah, what so are the, you doing? The, what are you doing? He, he averaged that. He averaged four. That. Thank you. He averaged yeah. four and a half assists per game. League leader Ryan Osgar is averaging six assists. So clearly, it's an unreasonable ask for me. But like. I don't know, like you're playing against like Detroit, you're playing inside in Indianapolis. I, I was True. hoping for some inflated numbers. Uh, but unfortunately, I told you not at come. the beginning of the year, their defense was just going to play all those points because yeah, the Tom defense was knows so how good. to play defense. Uh, are we sure about that? Have you seen his MVP highlight reel? Because that defense is a little questionable at times. Now you're giving know. him the material. I don't know. We well, should, we I mean, he posted, the, he posted the highlight reel. I'm just going to say that. He made it himself and posted, put it out there. Now, I know Pavel is more than capable of playing defense. He uh, just didn't do a great job of showcasing it in that highlight reel. Sure, sure. So anyway, that's going to basically wrap up our survivor pool picks. Uh, we don't really have anything else to add. We're not making anybody else put any picks in for uh, this week. We'll we'll see if uh, we'll see if we end up maybe doing a playoff version or something of sorts. Oh, if I can get that together in time i don't really know what we do there that's the problem i have to figure out a good system for that it would just probably be like a bracket maybe uh something like that maybe i guess it would just be championship weekend though because some playoff games will have already happened by the time that that gets out so we well, might have a champion at the end of the, i might put it out at the end of this week so keep an eye out oh, sure, maybe sure. we'll get something out in time uh, the, the elite atlantic division playoff and championship weekend yes yeah do yeah. well no we'll do the uh we'll do the full you know, you got to do all your, your four playoff games to get you to championship right. weekend. Oh, sorry, you were saying before this week, like when this episode yeah, comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, before the episode. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Sorry, I'm, it's been a long day, y'all. Come on, man, come on. All, all right, right. Well, um, speaking of long things, the long season, the reason we keep making the jokes about Pavel Giannis is because Pavel will be coming on our podcast at some point to relentlessly roast the pair of us because we lost our picks contest to Deep Look this year. We uh, really dropped the ball on this, Alex. A very disappointing showing from the two of us. Finished, I believe, under five hundred, which is just yeah, just by a few games. That's not that's not great. That's not what you're it's... going for for the AUDL podcast. Yeah, I mean, look, we explained our reasoning on the show. We had we had a very good second half, I will say. We did. We we did a much better once DraftKings started. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was no weeks, longer us. Week six on. Yeah, we like outperformed Deep like pretty much every week, um, yeah. including getting all three right a few times. So that was exciting. We also got all three wrong a few times early in the season. Uh, some notable, Not notable bad bets. So we picked Dallas minus five and a half at Austin. Woof. Yeah, <laughs> that was got so it was me too. I'm still mad. I'm still mad that Dallas did not cover in that one and a half point game to end up the season against Austin. Because my oh, goodness, for they sure. should that would made a huge difference for us. Yep, that would have flipped us. We would have been, we would have been alive. Yeah, that been was alive also right that was the same week where uh, you know New York minus two couldn't hold their two goal lead against Raleigh. Yep, also true. Also true. We got a push out of that. That wouldn't have been wouldn't have been quite as uh, yeah. quite as significant for us. We also still... we I'm looking through the the notes here. Uh, there was only one pickem. It looks like that we oh two pickems that we got right the whole season. Wow. All right, so Keep we look. suck at pickems. Deep look got the rest a, of them. That's not, it's not ideal. It's not ideal for us. So, anyway, congrats to Deep Look. Congrats to Charlie and Keith for winning the picks contest. Uh, I guess we'll 
Got to brush up a little bit, get ready for next year. Now the DraftKings say in the lines, though, I feel I feel like we might be maybe better. I, I feel better a lot better for, for sure. Year. Yep, definitely. And, uh, Pavel, bring it on. Yep, uh, maybe don't, uh, don't. Let's not encourage him here. I'm, I'm so scared. Although he, <laughs> I, I don't know that he has any idea who I am. Uh, so we've never met in person, and there's no reason that Pavel Giannis should know who I am outside of listening to this podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting to say the least. I don't know. We'll, we'll keep an eye out. Did we, did we say he had exactly. a roast us, or do we say we would just give him a segment to do whatever he wants with? I mean, I think the general consensus was that he would just give him the segment to do whatever he wants. But, like, let's be honest. What is Pavel going to do? He's going to roast sure, us. Sure, sure, sure. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we leave it to Pavel. That's what's going to end up happening here. Uh, all right, that's going to just about do it for this episode, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We don't have a whole lot more to add here. Very excited for the playoffs this weekend and our final two American regular season games. I got to get used to saying that. I got to clarify, as Alex likes to tell me, right? We got to indicate which is which. But uh, really fun this regular season, Alex. I know it's not quite done yet, but it feels pretty close. And with that in mind, we're actually going to give our end of season awards picks MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Breakout Player, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, all that type of stuff. Plus, we'll add some other fun stuff into the mix as well. And that'll be part of our subscriber only segment for this week so make sure you check that out if you are an ulti world subscriber and if you're not uh definitely would recommend considering that uh as if you're not familiar already charlie has been on quite the hot streak with our bets perspective uh column that we write every single week he is act this is really interesting on deep look this past week he pointed this out if you are just following along and betting with charlie on what has been what he's been doing you've been making up at more than what you pay for a subscription to be able to access that article just in, in a week. Like, it's in a week, you, you make up way more than than it costs to subscribe. So I highly recommend it if you're looking for some sports betting tips or AUDL betting tips. Uh, Charlie's been truly on a hot streak this year. I'm doing okay, doing okay, but Charlie's really been out uh, doing just gangbusters since this all started. Uh, don't forget to hit us up on social media, Ask All 7 on Twitter. Love hearing from listeners, whether they're fans, players, coaches, whoever. We've just really enjoyed some of the interactions we've had on there. So uh, don't be shy. Fun. We're we're very friendly. We won't slide yeah. into your DMs. <laughs> but you feel free to DM us if you have anything you want us to talk about on the show, any questions you want us to ask Brian Jones, anything like that. Feel free to reach out. And as always, make sure you rate, review, subscribe to the show. You can find our podcast pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, you know, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I think that's a thing, right? It's a thing. Maybe. I don't know. If Spotify, it's Google Podcasts, it's a thing. Need. It's definitely there. I do, yeah. I, I use Spotify. I'm a big fan of Stitcher, though, as well. Definitely a big a big uh, Stitcher user. So that's always a good one. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much going to do with this episode. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. You guys will hear from us again next week.